Welcome back to the Black Belt in Thinking podcast. I'm Peter. And I'm Myrta. And today we're talking about the optimism bias. Welcome to the Black Belt in Thinking podcast. I'm Peter Cronin, lead presenter of the Black Belt in Thinking. This is a podcast where we look at all things to do with thinking faster and acting more purposefully. I interview experts in their field to try and provide you with the insights to the way they think and the tools and processes they use on a day-to-day basis. If you find value in this podcast, love for you to share it with others. Yeah, did you want to kick us off with your definition of that? I'll give an example. Excellent, I will. Um, Optimism bias is basically our tendency to be unrealistically optimistic about whether a negative outcome will happen to us or not. Yeah, that's it. I think that's the basic. Yeah, it's, um, I'm always overly cautious about how much fuel I've got in my car, but you know. How much fuel? Yeah, I know other people uh, who drive my car, who is one person. Uh, (laughs) And who shall remain nameless. Who shall remain nameless. Technically, it's actually registered to her, so it's her car. Now that I say this. Shout out to Rihanna. <laughs> and she's, you know, she'll she'll run it right down to the to the fumes in the tank. It's this kind of like, oh yeah, but it won't it won't run out attitude. And I'm like, but, but it will eventually. <laughs> I mean, I've had uh, motorbikes when I was younger uh, that didn't have, they literally didn't have a fuel gauge. It was like this old '80s motorbike I had. Oh yeah, yeah like '89 or something when you know cheap terrible piece of rubbish anyway so it was fun um it just had a reserve tank that you had to switch over to but if it coughed you had to switch it immediately right um and you know i missed that a couple of times and and ran out of fuel so i'm i'm aware that it can happen but i think maybe this is the thing for if most for most people they've never run out of fuel it's this kind of she'll be right like it, it won't run out it happens to other people right that's it that's exactly it, it happens to other people what happened to me I thought that until it happened to me. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. was 17. I was driving my first car, which I bought a $500 Daihatsu Sherrod that I bought with my own money. Yep. And my dad was always on top of me. But what did he know? <laughs> and then literally my car stopped. And as it stopped, I still didn't think that I ran out of fuel. Like There was something else that was broken with the car. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But I guess we'll get into this a bit later. Um, how to overcome the bias is actually experiencing it. Because I've never since thought that I can't like <laughs> oh, as I say, I'm overly cautious to, cautious with the fuel, right? Like I'm like the moment the light goes on, I'm all right, find time to find a petrol station. Fiona's like, yeah, we got time. Look, the range thing says like hundred K. Yeah, that's three or four trips around the city. Yeah, yeah but the range is an average. <laughs> Yep. Speaking of driving, I mean the the class, the one that immediately came to me, I think to you as well. You're saying um, when thinking about this optimism bias. So, so a major facet of optimism bias is just being overly optimistic about our own abilities or situations. As you say, it won't happen to me, or like I'm too good for that, or something like this. And driving, driving skill. Everybody thinks they're, they're better than the, well. Not everybody thinks they're better than they are. It's not fair. Lewis Hamilton probably thinks he's quite good. And 
he is probably, decent. Probably Might not be the best, you know. <laughs> yeah. If he's not got the great car anymore, can't just outdrive everyone. Um, anyway, but what is it? Ninety percent of people think they're in the top ninetieth percentile of drivers. Yeah. Yeah. Which I I totally believe. Almost everybody I know thinks uh, they're a good driver, and the ones who don't are like quite vocal about it for some reason. Maybe because they're in a minor- minority. They're like, oh, I'm not a very good driver, but yeah. Whereas most people are, yeah. But it's not even um, it's not even cockiness. No. So I've, done, I've done some um, some reading about this. It's actually called called it's caused by representativeness heuristic so basically if you had to recall right now if i had to ask you you know compared to everyone else how likely are you to have a car accident you're thinking you're probably gonna be thinking oh well i know so many people that you know like my friend he drives quite bad like i'll i'll use my own example i'm thinking of my sister-in-law She's a very cautious driver, but she's kind of scared to drive to places where she hasn't been before, and she's not a very secure driver. Right. So in my head, I'm thinking, well, she's more likely to get into an accident because she's so afraid to to just drive, you know. So I'm less likely to. Then I'm thinking of my best friend who (laughs) doesn't drive on the motorway for some reason, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, So my mom, she talks about going. Yeah, you know, go well for her going to Auckland and just super it's, worried about the motorway. Whereas right? I'm like, motorway's fine. There's not like Motor- exactly like but it's better than it, it around the city. Think, it makes you think of people who somehow you know you think are they're more like or you know I have a friend who has a drink and drives. You know, well I don't do that, so I'm less likely to get into. So we kind of get fooled by our own like the negative samples that we collect around us that we compare ourselves to makes us believe that somehow we're less likely to be in an accident yeah compared to everyone around us which is completely flawed really yeah i mean it's one of those things right if it hasn't i think as well as if it hasn't happened to you yet as you said before then you kind of stuck into this belief it won't like as yeah. you said it happens to other people um yeah i mean car accidents and stuff are like that i mean i don't i don't know how many how like how, how many people have actually been in a car accident i mean i mean two not neither of them major uh but also neither of them caused by me <laughs> so that I'm, makes you an excellent driver well no it's it just not- makes me aware how terrible others are i don't think most people are actually very good drivers and partially part of this is having a motorbike you get hyper aware like it's actually interesting because like, i i wear one of these um you know garmin things and i've worn a few of these different fitness straps and things that constantly monitor your heart rate and i get stress warnings um when i'm riding motorbike through the city right i guess because i i i, I like i knew that i paid way more attention in a motorbike than a car like i knew that uh but i didn't realize how much um but yeah you're just you've got to be like kind of constantly scanning for stuff and you just so you constantly see it you just see how terrible people are they just pull out they just change lanes they just half change lane and then whip back into it a different one it's people are all over the place so when people say they're above average it doesn't necessarily make them good like i think the average driver is actually terrible you know they never yeah, had any enough. proper training they probably learned enough just enough from their parent to to pass the first license test and then 
just learned by doing the rest of their life. And if you look at almost every other skill or thing that people do, like at work, most people who have no real instructors or coaches or things, so there's obviously some people, but most people aren't very good at what they do if they don't have any feedback on the thing that they're doing their entire life and all their feedback is just their own assessment. Yeah. So this whole, I guess, superiority illusion that we have that we're somehow you know our abilities are better compared to other people yeah i think that's what drives us to um to believe that negative outcomes are less likely to happen to us yeah because i think maybe a misconception misconception with optimism bias is that it's just believing that things will work out yeah, yeah. But I think, yeah, the distinction is that it's not just believing, oh, yeah, being hopeful. It's actually thinking, no, bad things will not happen to me. So the danger actually lies with the decisions that you then make and the risks probably that you take, believing, oh, you know, it'll be fine. It, it, it won't happen to me. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, you, you, you said I was allowed one aviation example. What? I've limited you to one aviation example. Uh, but this is it, right? Is There was literally an article in um, CAS's uh, Civil Aviation Safety Authority's uh, mag- safety magazine um, about this, it, it, about exactly this, just people having this attitude of, oh, it won't happen to me. That happens to other people. Other people get caught out in bad weather. Other people run out of fuel while en route. Other people, whatever. Um and it's a major problem. And of course, the thing they talk about is the problem is the people with that attitude is the least likely to actually go to training or to ask questions or to do whatever to fix it as well. So it's kind of a perpetuating problem. Um, but I thought it, I thought it was uh, quite funny, the overconfidence thing. Uh, the article was titled uh, Fig Jam, like F-I-G-J-A-M, which stands yeah. for uh, I'm good, just ask me. Okay. And obviously, you can figure out what the F's for. Yep. But this is it, right? Like, it's a huge problem <laughs> there. I and want the... that T-shirt, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, make a good T-shirt. Um, yeah, okay. So I've got a ridiculous example of this. I was actually looking for... So we talk about the driving thing and everything, and I was like, oh, I've, I've seen before, you know, the whatever it is, 90%, 95% of males think they could win in a fist fight, even if I've literally never had any you know martial arts training or any anything like that in their entire lives they still think so um okay yeah and i was looking for that statistic and i couldn't find it but i found a way better study um they did a study this is in the states um on w- like whether people think they could fight an animal without you know, unarmed so <laughs> yeah i'd say this goes to show like, uh, so 74% of males think that they can um, fight a house cat and win. A house cat? Yeah. Well, I'm, I I mean, I would be in that. I'm surprised it's so low. Like, I get that they could be vicious and stuff, but, yeah, it's just not that it's big. domesticated cat. Yeah. And, okay, got it. Um, whereas only 64% of women think they could um, uh, fight a house cat. <laughs> okay. 
right? And then yeah. it goes down to this is like just wild. All right, so let's have a look at um, a kangaroo. Seventeen percent of men think they can take a kangaroo. Like wow, yep. Like I mean, this is Americans, right? That have probably never seen a kangaroo. But have you? Yeah, have they seen Kangaroo Jack? Oh, I don't know. I haven't seen it, but well. There's a big kangaroo in that movie because that, there's, there's a kangaroo in that movie, yeah. Because that big, like you go to like, um, um, I was gonna say zoo, it's not zoo, you just go to like a caravan park or like a like a not caravan park, like a holiday park, you know, um, where you might camp or bring a caravan or they got cabins, you know, those sort of things down down the coast, sort of thing. Um, and, you, and there's just kangaroos that just hang out there, I guess it's food and stuff, whatever. Um, and you walk past them and they're just chilling and they pull their head up and look at you. And it's a, it's a bit spooky. Like, you're like, oh, they're pretty, you know, it's pretty chill. It's just lying in the grass. But they're also massive. <laughs> so maybe these people haven't seen them. But, you know, also 11% of women think they can take a kangaroo. Um, what's interesting is for every animal on this list, except one, men are, the higher percentage of men think they can take the animal than a woman. Do you know what one of this though? What? All right, so get this. 8% of women and 7% of men think totally unarmed they could fight a lion. What? <laughs> like, like what? I don't even know what we're trying to prove here. Which gender is dumber? Or... Oh, well, obviously... In this, men are vastly more overconfident. I mean, 31% of men as opposed to 15% of women think they can fight a large dog unarmed and win. Um, it's just... I, yeah. So the, I, this is, I, I think this was playing into the optimism thing again based on what you're talking about with if people have never experienced something, they just kind of go like, oh, yeah, I could probably do that. Like, Why? Why do you think you could probably do that? <laughs> what causes that belief? Yeah. Is it because your friend who is way weaker than you fought a lion once and won? So you believe that <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if he took him on, then I can. Well, getting it back on track. Yeah, okay. How does this actually so so we have these unrealistic beliefs? Yeah. Um, so what? Well, the, the problem is you get people um, trying to do things or putting their hands up to do things. Um, and and you, don't know, you don't know why, right? Like you get, you know, you, um, you look at, I don't know if promoting is the right word, but you look at giving like a, a complex task to someone and you can't tell whether they are, <laughs> it's probably one of these, these catch twenty uh, catch twenty two is not the right word, but you know, you give it, you go, oh, who who would like to have a crack at this? And somebody who's done something like that before is going to go, oh yeah, I don't know, I'll, I'll have a go, but um, in the back of their mind, they've got that it's quite hard last time. Now they've got some experience with it, so they're actually probably the best person to do it. But because of the experience, they're hesitant, right? Whereas somebody who's never done it before might be like, oh yeah, yeah, I can do that. Of course, I can do that, and they take it on. So you've got this problem where 
as you said, what to do about it is experience. So those who have had a little bit of experience are better than those who have had none in most cases, um, but they're also going to be more hesitant. So you end up with this unreasonable confidence you have to deal with from, from people that actually are the worst person to be doing things. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. And um, so it, yeah, yeah. It kind of works um, or it kind of affects us in business, I guess, in, in two ways. You take things on really, really underestimating, yeah. um, which we probably see a lot in project management. Yeah. Every single project goes over budget and over time. I, I reckon project management is one of those things like driving. I think most people think they are a good project manager. Right. And I think from our experience, most people are not good project managers for the exact reason you just said. Because somehow they just think I can do it and I can do it with this amount of money. Yeah. And they just Actually, this... what happens is that they completely disregard variation. Yes. And Murphy's. Yep. Which they... is weird because I find a lot of project management people also build in a lot of safety to account for, for Murphy's. But yeah, let's not get into yeah, yeah. that. Like, like people, people kind of go, uh, well, actually, is optimism bias playing into all of this, right? Estimates yeah. are terrible because people always think things will go better than they will, right? Yeah. People react too slowly because they think it'll just come right. And they want to give it, it might come right tomorrow. I'll just give it another day before I react. Yeah. You've got, that's, I hadn't thought about this, but that's, this optimism bias is probably the primary driver as to why most projects go terribly, is the information from people is too optimistic. The project managers, yeah, I think, I think, as I said, most people, most people, I think, think they're good project managers because they have decent communication skills, and they're organized. And they put those two together and go, yeah, sure, I can run a project because they think that they will be good at coordinating things. So you basically overestimate yourself and your ability. Yeah, while being too optimistic about how well things might go. <laughs> and you take things on and... And I guess the other thing I where I was going to go with this is if you're a manager, because I've certainly been in this position. Oh, this, this is going to sound so cocky. I promise I'm not cocky. But you do kind of believe, oh, I should do this. I'm not going to give it to this person. I should do it myself. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm going to get it. I'm not going to fail this. But them, are they going to get it right? Or am I going to have to micromanage them? This podcast is brought to you by the BBIT. If you want to improve your own thinking and problem-solving skills, visit blackboutandthinking.com to sign up now. So that's, that's another note I've got here. Uh, from, from the you know, workflow, you know, workflow improvement projects we've done and things, but also massively from the BBIT, looking at the... Uh, problems people analyze, you know, the cause and the knock-on effects of the problem, all that sort of thing. How often it comes up about managers 
or team leaders or experienced people not not delegating right and it's exactly that it's exactly what you just said some of them are even to the point where they will write cause and effect steps claiming that if they don't do it it's like the whole department or product or whatever is going to fail it's like well, I, wow. I, I, mean, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like they're so worried about if they hand something off to somebody else, how terribly it's going to go. Yeah. Yeah. And and the problem is you might, they might've had experience if somebody was to business bias on the other side. They go, yeah, I'll have a crack at that and totally cock it up. Yeah. Yeah. I guess um, I have Lauren now. So, and Lauren just gets everything right. So she's kind of snapped me out of that. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> um, so I guess, yes, it affects um, obviously our personal outcomes. It's one of those, oh, I'll, I'll have another drink. I'm, a, I'm a, such an awesome driver. They've, I can ha- have another drink and drive that car home. Um, I'm not going to get into an accident. That happens to other people. Yeah, right. Yeah. And then it affects us in, in our business lives as well, in the way we manage projects, in the way we manage people, in the way we... Um, handle our own tasks and and the things that we take on or don't take on yeah um i guess i think risk management as well huge the man the sorry what risk management right yeah like um they're not reactive you know like as things start to go off track obviously we mentioned projects but it's not just projects it's anything you're trying to do you know some sort of deal you're trying to close so anything you're trying to do people are almost always slow to react to it. And I, th- I think it's because optimism bias. They they sort of believe it, oh, it won't go that bad or it'll probably come right. Because if they genuinely believed there was no way it was going to come right, they'll react earlier. So it's right. this optimism bias driving people go, oh, I'll give it one more day. I'll give them one more day. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll check in next week, whatever it is. Right. Uh, but, you know, we also know that as risk, um, yeah, as things go off track or risk increases, it costs incrementally more time and money to fix it as it goes, right? So if it's, you know, if something's one day off track versus, versus 10 days off track, you know, the, the cost of, of time and money and effort and everything to try and fix it is dramatically worse. And so people are far better to put a little bit of effort in early and correct things, but they won't because of their optimism bias. Right. They'll go, oh, it'll, it'll probably come right. So I think that's that's where a huge risk point is um, for people reacting to businesses. And obviously we've, we've seen that many times with, the, you know, the workflow management things and, and that. Um, where, where tasks or things um, are running late and, and clearly they're showing the same pattern they showed last time when they were about to go off a cliff and people go, oh, it's different than last time. It's not like last time. It'll be right. Yeah. yeah. And then I feel like it, I don't know if I'm going off on a tangent here, but I'm just looking. I have a book sitting on my desk right now, Fooled by Randomness mm-hmm. by Nassim Taleb where basically you might even think that you have it figured out, but really just pure chance can still get you because you're not, you don't live in a bubble. So you like, you think you're an awesome driver. Chances are I'm not going to get into an accident, but what about the other driver on the road? 
like you may not cause the accident, but you could still get into an accident. Yeah. Like you may leave that task, Anna, no, 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 she'll be right. You know, it'll all come right tomorrow. But that's given or keeping all things equal. Yeah. Like how presumptuous that nothing will change that's under that's not under your control, I guess. Yeah, it'll be total, totally fine. Meta will come in tomorrow and, and fix it. Yeah. And then turns out Meta ran out of fuel or yeah. Meta got COVID. Or, actually, this happened. This actually you know? happened the other day. Oh, I'm not going to say with what. <laughs> okay. Oh, shoot. <laughs> but it happened the other day where um, it something depended on me at work. Yeah. Um, it literally, we had a couple of hours to get something done. And actually, my laptop died, not as in ran out of battery, as in it just went black. All Uh, right. Now, I have a backup um, laptop, but it doesn't actually have a certain thing installed on it that I needed. Okay. So, and I haven't actually told this to to you guys, but we almost did not make whatever we were. This is so cryptic. I just don't want to be talking about um, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I know what you're talking about now because I was there yeah. when your laptop crashed. Yeah, yeah. Um, so literally anything yeah, There was an happen. important meeting, you know? It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so how do we overcome this? All right, well. Like, obviously, this is something that we don't consciously do. We don't consciously, we're not aware that we are actually overly optimistic. Yeah. If we were conscious of it, we'd go, oh, I'm overly optimistic here. Let me regulate for a bit of realism. Yeah. All right. Well, I've got three things here. One is the obvious one. One is not a separate example, but calling back to the first example I brought up about aviation, it's all on the same one, because <laughs> uh, they mentioned in the article something to do about it. Uh, and the third one is uh, actually from a study I found on this um, and what they found is most effective. So that's okay. interesting. Um, all right. So the obvious one is be realistic. You know, take a, take a moment to consider why. Is this, you know, is this reasonable? Am I, am I just being overly optimistic or am I just assuming that I'm going to do a better job of this? Is like, why, why would this go right? And try and think. Try and spend a moment to think about what might go wrong and have you actually put any effort into dealing with that? Yeah. So that's, to me, the, uh, the obvious one. And obviously, that's what the BBIT tools teach. You know, we've got things like negative branches, which is about identifying what might go wrong, the likelihood of it going wrong, and if it goes wrong, what can you do to mitigate it? Yeah. Things like that. Um, all right. And then going back to the uh, Fig Jam one, yeah, one of their major things, because it's to do with um, poor decision-making about like weather and things like that, is a fairly simple one, is to just get a second opinion. You know, if you're, if you're in the hangar and there's other people there, just ask somebody else what they think objectively, because they don't have the like, oh, I want to get home, or oh, I really, you know, my whole family's here and we were going to go on this, you know, we were going to fly to Mudgee to drink wine for the afternoon, whatever. So they're going to give you a more objective opinion, right? Because a lot of this uh, optimism thing comes because we want the outcome to be true. We want it to be true. That's why we're just being optimistic and sort of, you know, looking at things as rose-tinted goals. And if somebody else isn't in your circumstance, they won't. They'll be more objective. So ask somebody else about it. Yeah. 
somebody else who doesn't have skin in the game. Like, you know, if I'm asking you about something to do with some like sales deal or something, and we're both working on it, that's not going to help. No. Yeah, I'm better to go ask um, somebody else from the organization who's totally not involved in it at all. For example. Well, actually, that's that's actually a very good point because right now, um, my husband's actually supposed to go to Australia. There was supposed to be a Brazil-Argentina game in Melbourne, which got cancelled last minute, but him and his mates were still going to go go to the trip anyway. Yeah. Um, but two of his friends that are going are not New Zealand citizens, so they need a visa to get into Australia. And they applied for a visitor visa, um, which hasn't come through yet, and the trip is on Friday. Right. So all three of them are saying, oh, yeah, it'll come through. It'll come through, like, on Thursday, Friday morning. Right. And I'm obviously not – I don't have skin in the game. And I'm trust thinking, the, trust no them Australian, Australian immigration to just, you know, pull through and quickly come through with something for someone they don't have to – exactly yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't put money on that so yeah if so yeah if they had to ask me i'd i'd definitely say i can't see it happening guys but you're right asking someone who doesn't have skin in the game who doesn't who's not into wishful thinking about something coming true yeah that's it that's that's why you're optimistic right because because deep down you just want it to be true yeah yeah and what's your third all right so this is this is actually really interesting because this is from the study so it's not just my dumb opinion (laughs) uh so um the best way is to test test it test your skill test whether something will go right after a self-assessment and reassess right so really interestingly they they found this on on a they did a few different um uh things here but but one of them was they uh, added like a theory, which is interesting. This is what happens in New Zealand. You can knock six months off your um, restricted to full license by doing a um, defensive driving course. That's right. Yeah. But it's almost entirely theory. You know, you don't actually go to a track and learn how to control the car as it goes through a skid or anything like that. I should send this to, <laughs> to whoever's in charge of this in New Zealand. What they found in... I think it was Norway, was when they educated people on um, the risks of driving on icy roads, all that sort of thing, uh, crashes increased because people had an unreasonable expectation that they understood it and therefore would be less cautious or be more likely to take a, a icy road or all these sorts of things. Oh, wow. So education without practice makes it worse which is exactly what New Zealand does. So knock, knock six months off your license to go and sit in the classroom for a few hours and learn about defensive driving. It's ridiculous. That's so interesting. That's the Cobra effect, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The, you do something that you think is good and it has the opposite effect and makes the situation worse. Yeah. Yeah. So education without testing something is worse than not education because you fill, these, you fill people with this unreasonable she'll be rightness of um oh, i know about this now when actually they don't they don't have any other skill to actually deal with it yeah um then what they found was uh attempting something with an instructor's help made them made people better at it but their confidence that their, their margin of confidence was too high for how much better they got right. so they thought they were quite good at something. And I mean, 
I'm not allowed to mention, you know, another example of aviation, so I won't. <laughs> but hypothetically, you know, if I thought back to when I learned to fly, um, yeah, I mean, you go, oh, man, oh, it's, aerobatics is even better because you go, oh, I can do this manoeuvre pretty well. You, you learn it with the instructor, sweet. You go out and do it by yourself. And the next time you're like, what happened? <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's quite interesting is your skill does increase with an instructor, but it, it, your confidence increases far too high for how much your skill actually increased. Yeah, comparatively, yeah. Yeah. And then the best way is, as I said, is to uh, like, like do an assessment of how you think you'll go and then do it and then compare how you went to your assessment. And that, that, that's the best way apparently to align your actual skill with your expectations of your skill or how well something goes with how you thought it would go. And interestingly, when I read that, I thought that's what Peter Thorby does that's really effective about buffer management. Right. He gets people every day to say what, what situation will it be in tomorrow and then tomorrow to compare where it actually is against their prediction. Right, that's quite grounding, yeah. It's quite interesting because that's, and I'm, not, I'm not using this as a shot of it, but it'll sound like it. That's almost the only thing he does with buffer management. And yet that's what makes all the difference. And it's quite interesting to have a totally separate study uh, kind of confirm it. You should tell him that. That'll give him quite a... I, I should actually. Yeah. <laughs> the study's about driving as well, so you might be quite interested in it. Um, but yeah, that's that's so that's the best way to do it is to predict what you think will happen, go through the course of action. If it's a skill-based thing, have a crack at it yourself. If it's whatever it is we were talking about earlier, you know, project management, whatever. I think you know by the end of the week we're going to be in this position, and then when the end of the week you're not in that position, why not? And by doing that, you you align your expectations with reality. And that's, so you're that's, really adding that's... audit points? Yeah, I guess so, yeah. So that you can act on time? Yeah. It's almost like a yeah, like a nudge for you to, to do something. Are yeah, you exactly. sure you don't want to do anything yet? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. So, you know, probably don't go fight a lion to see if you can fight a lion. <laughs> The answer is a cat. cat. <laughs> <laughs> and work your way up. Um, <laughs> stop the domesticated cat. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, that's that's it. So, so I had something um, to add to that. Yep. Um, which is just starting off with saying optimism bias obviously does play a role other than just to screw us over. Um, so there is value in us being optimistic about future. If you weren't, if you just thought, oh no, I'm gonna fail at that, I'm not gonna even try. Yeah. That wouldn't be all that great. So I think my tip is let's just acknowledge that yes, we are optimistic. Let's actually embrace being optimistic about things. And then really only audit ourselves for, for our actions that might have really catastrophic consequences. 
So if it's, you know, hey, I'm going to write a book and I'm really optimistic about the fact that I, I can do this. Well, what's the worst that could happen? Yeah, I shouldn't really be examining it too much. I should just probably give it a go. Yeah, why not? As opposed to something like, let me buy, you know, 500k worth of this new stock that's come on the market. (laughs) What's the worst that can happen? Yeah. Um, So I think that we should be a bit selective as to what we examine. So not every action needs to be proofed for optimism bias. Yeah. Um, obviously, another way to to overcome it is to to go through it, but that's not very clever, is it? Especially when it comes to things like fighting lions. <laughs> you don't, you don't need to necessarily fight one to know that you you're probably going to lose. Yeah. Um, and then my last one was sort of um, my last point was similar to what you said um, in terms of auditing our beliefs, but specifically using logical structures. So sort of reverse engineer the outcome that you're hoping for, if that makes sense. Obviously, rather than just saying, oh, I am going to finish this project on time, sort of reverse engineer at least the milestones so that you know whether you are on time, which is kind of similar to what you were saying about auditing, batching, sort of, not, not batching, sorry, um, cutting, cutting the whole thing into, into um, bite sizes where you can actually audit at each step whether you're going to make it or not. Yeah. yeah makes sense. And then keep in mind that, yes, um, the book I mentioned, Fooled by Randomness, yeah, okay. Really, no matter what you do, you you know. Even even the 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 idea that I've done this before and I'm really good at it and I know it's going to work out, really doesn't mean it's going to work out. Yeah, exactly. Shit yeah. could still happen. And uh, that can that can be one of the worst ones. You get complacent because yeah. it's not gone wrong so far. So why would it go wrong now? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can probably uh, even summarize what you just said there with the old, um, uh, what is it? Hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. But prepare. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. That's actually one, quite that's a good one. That's your one-liner for this one. <laughs> nice. Yeah, there you go. Okay, well, I'm going to be off now to buy my Fig Jam T-shirt. Nice. Yeah. Good. All right. I think it was a good one. This is probably the most practical what to do about it. And, uh, <laughs> advice we've had. Tap, tap on our, let me tap your back. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'm just being overly optimistic about how good our, what to do about advice is. Hard to but say. Hey, really. What's the worst that can happen? Yeah. Like if we sat there thinking this is so shit, we would just, we wouldn't show up, would we? No, that's true. So unless someone calls in and tells us to stop, we'll just keep going. Yeah. Please don't call on and tell us to stop. Yeah, please don't. <laughs> we're, we're really enjoying this. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And uh, we'll, we'll see you next time. We'll talk at you next time again. <laughs>